Welcome, everybody. Welcome. This is a membership series, so uh, we're very honored to have you here um, for a new series, two-part series, with Hacham Yitzchak Berdugo. Um, Rabbi Yitzchak, I met him uh, probably about over a year ago now. Uh, we've been in communication over WhatsApp, but it feels like I've known him for many, many years. Uh, I consider myself a friend as well as a student in many ways. Um, and I'm so honored that he's able to come back after having given a fantastic shi'ur to the Habura last year before membership mode uh, on uh, Rabbi Yosef Meshash. And now we have another giant of Safarad uh, that we'll be uh, learning about, Hacham David Shalush, who is a former chief rabbi of Netanya. Um, so I'll do a little intro for uh, Rabbi Verdugo and then we'll begin. Uh, Rabbi Verdugo is a Rosh Kollel of the Harbour. Uh, Baal Harbor Kollel in Miami and the founder of the Institute of Sephardic Halakha. He received a semicha from Rav Eliyahu ben Chaim, Abbeddin of Mekor Chaim. He also studied in the Kollel of Florida under the Abbeddin of Miami, Rabbi David Schoen. He is currently studying towards a Dayanut qualification through the Eres Hamda Institute and Montefiore Endowment. Hacham, we're so happy to have you here and we are very much looking forward to learning the Torah of a Sephardi Hacham that not many know about and I think uh, uh, please God with your efforts um, we'll be able to change that reality. Uh, thank you. Thank you Sina. It's a big zikhut to be able to speak about and learn about uh, Rav Shalush. Um, already Baruch Hashem you gave me the, uh, the zikhut to speak about Rav Yosef Mishash. Rav Shalush is also what I call the on my dream team. You know it's funny uh, recently my wife asked me you know, it's very common, I'm sure everywhere in Israel, America, I'm sure in England as well, to put pictures of Gedolim in your house. So my wife, she, she wanted to get pictures. So she's like, I'm going to get her of Chaim Kenieski, or Steinman, or Vovadia, and maybe Benishchai, the classics. Um, and I told her, I said, for me, I prefer, I, I have a certain hachamim that I would like to put on my wall. Not to offend the other ones, of course, they're all great scholars, but uh, these are my personal favorites. And one of them was Rav David Shalush. We're still working on it, but that's, uh, in my eyes, of Yosef Meshash, of David Shudush, of Haim David Alevi, of Kapach. These are the hachamim, you know, that I put on my wall. Um, so thank you again for, for letting me have this zikut to introduce to the Habura and learn about the, and teach over the, the little we can get from the greatness of Haim David Shudush. Um, sorry, of David Shudush. Um, so it's true, you mentioned in the poster he was born in Morocco, but he was just born there maybe by accident. He... His father, Rav Yosef Shalush, he lived in, in Eretz Israel. He moved from Marrakesh to Eretz Israel when he was 12 years old. And he studied there and eventually actually became a teacher in, in Purat Yosef. So Rav Yosef Shalush was a teacher of, of uh, Hamovadia, all the big uh, dream team from Purat Yosef. He was also their Rabbanim. And Rav David Shalush, he pretty much was raised in this atmosphere with these great uh, hachamim. Some of the greatest hachamim this party uh, for the past party uh, for the past generation. For example, the Orlitzion of Rabbi Sunab Shaul. He learned Rabbi Uvadi, like we mentioned. He learned Rabbi Sion Levi with Hacham uh, Baruch Ben Haim. And these are all hachamim that were sent to different places. Rabbi Shulosh also was sent to France for a little bit, also. But uh, in, in the end, he came and he became the chief rabbi of Netanya. Um, and Hacham David Shalush, it's, uh, he has a different approach than most classical Sephardi Hachamim. Uh, and we'll learn about it more, how this approach 
maybe it, it hindered him from becoming, let's say, the chief rabbi of Israel instead of just the chief rabbi of Netanya because of his very independent thinking. Um, he talked about topics that many hachamim wouldn't even get into. Uh, maybe some hachamim, they would write a quick, you know, three, four line teshuvah on it, responsa. But he would, his, his, uh, his methodology and, and the way he would analyze a sugiya would be extremely thorough. And any topic he would talk about, sometimes it would go to 40, 50, 60 pages in a sefer. And he dealt with topics that, like I mentioned, were very, very rare for hachamim to speak about, you know. One of them I mentioned to Sina was um, how an astronaut, a Jewish astronaut, when he goes to space, how should he observe the mitzvot? How should he do tefillah? How does he keep Shabbat, tefillin, etc.? It's uh, back in his days when he was writing this, you know, maybe in the 70s or the 80s, it wasn't so common. But now with, you know, with, let's say, Elon Musk and uh, Amazon, they're doing all this. Uh, uh, you can have private tours to space. It's going to be real common questions that are going to be very applicable in the very near future. Um, so this is, a, I think, a teshuvah that we should definitely re revisit one time. Um, he talked about, he dealt with halakhic infertility, which is, for example, sometimes women, they, um, they ovulate during the shavanikiim, and that's the only time they can give birth. So he dealt with this extensively and has certain heterim that the other poskim wouldn't dare to, to go that far. He talked about the international dateline, you know, which days, what day do you keep Shabbat, Sunday, Thursday, or regular Friday? Um, he talked about electricity on Yom Tov, and he dealt with this again extensively, arguing with certain people, certain hachamim, and he didn't care because he wrote he he would go and meet with professors. He would meet with the greatest um, experts in any area, whether they be religious, not religious, and absorb their data and then input it into his teshuvah through the halachic lenses that he would have. Um, again, this is very different than other classics for the poskim that sometimes they would talk about, let's say, electricity and Yom Tov, and they would do a one-pager on it. He would actually go, and if you read the Teshuvah, it's extensive, beyond extensive, and it, it takes uh, it could take you uh, a month just to read, you know, what he's into, grasp what he's really trying to get at. Um, he dealt with the Ethiopian Jews. He dealt with the Karaj Jews. How do we, how do the Jewish people have to deal with the Karaj nowadays? Um, so he's spe a very special hacham uh, in my eyes, and I definitely think he's a perfect uh, candidate for the uh, for a rub of the Habura. So without further ado, let's uh, begin. Um, actually, before that, I, I brought down, oh, should I share my screen with you guys? Um, so I can, do I have the ability to do that? Yeah, share a screen. Uh, desktop, here we go. Okay. Can you see the words, the Alitma? Yeah, okay. So in his Hagdama first, here I have uh, one copy I found in Israel. It's, it's out of print and uh, it's, it's, it's three volumes, but uh, somehow I was able to get it from a store that he had used ones. I'm like, this is the only ones you have. You don't have new ones. The rabbi there, he's like, take these or you're never going to find them again. So I took them and uh, I was very happy I took them. I was young. I didn't even know who really Rav Shalush was and Baruch Hashem, it was in my bookshelf and I got to use it and got into it. So in his Hagdama for Hemda Genuzah, he writes, he writes a little warning, a discretion, that people, they may read my teshuvot and they may be a little uh, scared. They may be a little shocked. He says, Don't be shocked and, and ponder how I enter into these big uh, machlokot, big debates between great rabbis. 
And, he, and you're gonna say, How could it be that me, a little fly, can come into these you know angels and debate with them? So I'm gonna skip a little bit. Um, actually, yeah, if I highlighted, you can follow along like that. So he says it brings down from Ravitzak Dilion, which I brought over here, and in his Hagdamat from Megillat Esther. Megillat Esther was a sefer actually on the sefer and mitzvot of the Rambam. And it was pretty much defending Harambam against the attacks of Nachmanides, the Ramban. And in this Hagdama, Rav Yitzhak de Leon, he brings from the Hacham Rofer Bishelomo Almoli. And he says like this Efshar It's possible that the later authorities can grasp more than the early authorities had, the Rishonim. And he says for two, Perspectives. Why? The first perspective. Why is this possible? It's possible that a later authority can argue on the early authorities because he he took one type of derush, one type of subject, and he really dwelled into it and expounded upon it, and he spent a lot of time on it. So that's one way that a later authority can actually achieve more than the previous generations. Right? I'm starting with us just because there's a very common concept of Yiridata Dorot. No way can the later authorities argue with the earlier ones. So Rav, Mish- Rav, uh, Rav, Mishash, Rav David Shelush is coming here to tell us, you know, you have one reason why it's okay. Don't be worried. And then I'm going to skip to the second one. And the second one, Abihina Shenit, is Anachnu Aharonim. He says, us achronim, our later, us later authorities, with just a little bit of dedication and a little bit of studying, we can actually achieve much more than what the earlier generations were able to grasp. Why? He says, the earlier generations, knowledge, what the, the subjects weren't complete, and they had to set the pillars. They had to set it, the foundation for these things. We have everything in front of us like a set table. Everything is in front of us. It's very easy. You open up a Beit Yosef, and you can see all the different opinions beautifully brought down. And the early authorities, they didn't even get to see sometimes other opinions. Um, so he says, I'm going to skip to a, a little uh, mashal that he brings from the Shibula Aleket, which he brings from Rabbi Yashaya Mitrani. He says that somebody asked him, how can you go and argue on the Geonim? So it was another question that was asked to the, to the, the Shibula Aleket or the Yashaya Mitrani. And he says, He gave him a mashal. A mashal but he answered him back with a mashal that he heard from the Goim. Right, of course, you can, uh, like we have here, and from anybody who, who gives the Amet. So he bring a mashal from the philosophers. He says, One time a philosopher asked one of the greatest philosophers, a greater philosopher, We agree that the, early, the earlier philosophers, they were wiser than us. They knew more than us. And we, we come, we, we speak about their topics and we argue what they're saying. And the truth is with us and not the earlier generations, but the earlier generations were greater than us. 
So he says, Ve'ech yikon adabar hazeh, how could this be? So he says, Heshiva ma filosof amar, he comes back, the philosopher, he answered him, he says, mit sofi yotel minachok. He gives him a beautiful answer. He says, who sees further? Ananas or ha'anak? Can a, a, a midget, a dwarf, or a giant see further? Of course, the giant can see much further. Havi omer ha'anak, the giant. She'ainav omdot mimakum gavua me'od me'ainei ha'ananas. Right, the, the giant, his eyes are much higher up than the, than the dwarf. But however, if you were to put this midget, this dwarf, on the neck of the, or let's say on the head of the, of the giant, who's going to see more now? The midget now is going to see more than the giant. Because now the eyes of the nanas are even higher so he said, than the higher than the, than the giant. So he says, Us too, we are, we are midgets that are going on the backs of giants. And due to that, we are able to sometimes see more than what the earlier generation said. So I just thought this was a very important approach and an important foundation and principle to begin to understand Rav Mishah, Rav Shelush, because Rav Shelush, he's telling us, be careful. My teshuvot, I go very deep into them. I sometimes have different, different pshatim, different psakim than the previous generations had, but I have what to rely on and why I'm doing this. So now we're going to begin the actual topic, what, what uh, we came here to do today. And this topic is a very, very, very controversial topic. I say very controversial is because you have big rabbanim, big poskim, that they dedicated their entire life to promote a certain view a certain hashkafa, a certain um, way of following halacha. And Rav Shalush is coming and saying that that foundation really doesn't have so much to, 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 to be backed on. And, and saying that you don't really have to follow this foundation. And because of this teshuvah, this is what Rav Shalush kind of got him to make some enemies, enemies in a halachic way. Um, and, 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 and for that reason, you know, we were talking with Sinai, like he doesn't even have a Wikipedia page in English. He has one in Hebrew, but in English, he didn't have that. He didn't have that press. He didn't have that ability to actually shine because he was subjugated to kind of being suppressed due to his pretty much this approach to Torah, especially in the Rabbanut in Israel, where you had great Chachamim, Chachamovadia, that really was promoting following the acceptance of the Shuchan Aruch and Rav Shalush saying, uh, it's not so clear that we have to do that. So, and Ravadio was the, the chief rabbi. He was really suppressed on that. Even I heard from one rabbi who heard from another rabbi, somebody who was close to Rashalush, that he even went to get uh, Haskama from Hamovadia on his sefer, Hemda Ginuza. And Hamovadia didn't want to give Haskama unless he would remove this teshuvah that we're actually about to read. He said, I'm not going to give you Haskama unless you remove this teshuvah. And supposedly, Ham Shalushi didn't really care, and he left, and he publishes Teshuvah, and that's uh, that's the beginning of the suppression. Somebody I heard uh, Joey Moseri, he told me that uh, you know Hamuvadi would say it, it, it's the sefer is called Hemda Ginuza, which means you know this uh, beautiful hidden treasure. So Ravuadi said, uh, let it stay Ganuz, let it stay as a hidden, you know, not be found. So th this is the reality, but uh, I think it's our job to uh, that's that's uh, do a little pirsum, make it famous again. Okay, and uh, I, the reason why I like this is because personally I'm very attached to this teshuvah because 
he goes so thorough into the into the sources behind everything, and it it once you read it, you can't really argue with what he has to say. He covered all grounds, and he's so truthful and honest. Okay, I hope we're gonna have enough time to even go to the teshuva. Alrighty, so starting off with the teshuva. For anybody who doesn't know, so this is, it's really mostly for Svaradim, this principle. So for all the Ashkenazim here, I'm sorry, but at the same time, there's something that even Ashkenazim can accept as well and learn from this. It's because nowadays, for example, in the Ashkenazi world, you know, it's standard in the Alisa Haredi world, we accept the, the rulings of the Mishnah Biruda. Everybody has to go like the Mishnah Biruda. And it's very common all over the place. But did it really happen? Is this really this Kabbalah that you have to follow the Mishnah Birura? Can you follow the Aruch HaShulchan instead? Can you follow Rav Moshe Feinstein instead? Can you find, follow your own Shul Rabbi instead? So this is something that's Nogea. It's, it's, it has to do with everybody. So we'll begin. So he says, he's going to go take us through the history of what was the Shulchan Aruch? What did he try to do? And how was it accepted amongst the people? So he says like this, Maran Yosef In the introduction to the Beit Yosef, of course, everybody knows the Beit Yosef was the most monumental work of Rav Yosef Cairo, pretty much taking all the different opinions and explaining that onto the tour. He says, So he says, I, I myself personally, I came up with this resolution that we're going to take the three pillars of the Jewish people, that the Jewish people rely on them anyways, which are the Rif, Harambam, and the Rosh, two Sfaradim, one Ashkenazi. When two people, two of the opinions agree with something, with one opinion, I'm going to say that's Alakha. So when two opinions out of the three agree, that's Alakha. However, except he says, but if majority of the Jewish people, they disagree with what those two of the majority said, then we're not going to go with that. You can continue with the minhag, again, only if the rov holds like that. However, in a place where one of the three opinions does not reveal what he holds, one of the three authorities doesn't reveal what he holds, he says, and the remaining two have an argument. So now you only have two out of the three and the two themselves are arguing. So one versus one. He says, we're going to bring the other authorities, the Ramban, Harashba, all these other authorities, we're going to bring them in. Whatever they, the majority of these other authorities outside of these three agree to, we're going to go with that opinion. And what happens in a case where you don't have none of these three? All three of these authorities don't reveal anything. So he says, We're going to go with the famous opinions, any famous authority. Here he says, even beyond the Rashba, the Ran, we're going to take anybody and we're going to see what they say. So we'll go with that. He says, He says, this is very important. He says, what happens if you have some communities, some lands, that they already are noheg isur. They already say that this thing is asur. And, and Maran himself said that it's mutar. The Shukhanar said it's mutar. So he says, even though we said the opposite, they, he says, yes, hiku binin hagam. Continue doing what they're doing. Keep it asur. 
they already accepted this opinion that says it's Asur. And they cannot now change it and be matir something if they have a minhag to be Osir. So now comes in Rav Shalush. He says, and again, this Teshuvah, I actually, I didn't mention this. This is actually, it's around 60 pages, this Teshuvah. <laughs> and this is towards the end of the Teshuvah, the last uh, chapters of that Teshuvah. It's around 60, let's say, chapters in this one Teshuvah. And this is towards the end. And previously, he already gave you all the Psakim, the Klalim of Hadap Sak, and how it was all the way from Mishnah, from the Mishnahic times, all the way to the Tamudic times, all the way until Shuhan Aruch. So we're just dealing with the last part. And even this last part was just too long. So I went and took some snippets of different parts and I pasted it here. And then still that was too long. So I went and bolded certain pieces. <laughs> it's a very long Teshuvah. So he says, It's according to the, the Lashon of Shulchan Aruch, is, is what he said, we can be, we can infer. Right? What about a case where there's a minhag, where the people are, they say that's mutar to do a certain thing. And he was posek that it's asur because two out of the three opinions or the other rules, they said it's asur. He says they would have to, says Rav Shalush, according to what Maran said, they would have to change their minhagin. They would have to say it's asur because he only said if they have a minhag that's asur, they can remain asur even though I said it was mutar. But what happens if it was the opposite? If it was, I say it's, uh, it's going to be, uh, it's, uh, it's asur and they were saying it's mutar. Rav Shalush says, they, according to that, the way, if we were going to infer it and take the word seriously, we would have to change the minagim and make it asur. So he says, except there's two places where, according to Maran, the principles that Rav Shalush is extracting from the Shulchan Aruch, from the Beit Yosef, there's two places that the Beit Yosef would allow you to continue doing your minagim. He says, number one, So he says, if the Beit Yosef himself tells you that you can continue doing your minhagim because of certain reasons, then you can do that, right? For example, we're learning terefot actually in the kolel. For example, to be machshir ma'im akurim siruchim. In the lungs, let's say you have some, we're not going to get to the terefot right now, but certain things that we're going to be, that the shuchan, according to the shuchan aruch, it's asur, you're not allowed to eat it, it's considered terefah, you can't eat it. According to the minhagim of certain people, they say it was okay. So he allowed you to keep it. Why? Because it was too hard to get the to get the kosher meat, and the goyim wouldn't buy our meat. So you can keep it. You can be mekel for that. So for a certain reason, he allows you. We're not going to get to other ones, but he has a lot of different ones. So that's one example. Number two, or im amar hamim shamar lemaharam galanti al kadum hagam neged Or sometimes, Maran himself would write a tishuba, or he would tell him verbally, like he said to Maram Galanti. Regarding certain minhagim that are going against the Shulchan Aruch, right? For example, uh, this is a very little detailed uh, halacha in the in the in the get. You write binefshayichi with one yod or two yodim. So he allowed them to keep their minhagim because he didn't want to make the previous gitin look like they were bad, and therefore he said keep it how it is. However, so those are the two exceptions that you can actually keep your minhagim, unless Maran says otherwise. Says according to Maran, whenever Maran didn't tell you these two things, these two exceptions, you have to actually, whatever you were doing, Mutar, now becomes a sur because Maran said so. So now, Rav Shalush, he brings a stira. If anybody has questions, no problem. They can pause me whenever they want. Says, Matsinu, he says, we have a stira that Rav Shalush is saying because 
you see from a different teshuvah, the approach, the Shulchan Aruch, Rav Yosef Cairo, sorry, I mean, you use the Lashon, sometimes I say Beit Yosef, sometimes I say Shulchan Aruch, or sometimes Rav Yosef Cairo, it's all the same person. So sometimes we see that the Rav Yosef Cairo, he had a different approach, seemingly breaking the rules that he just said towards the Rambam. So he says like this, Matsinu kamat pisakim shepasak maran rambam belohash al maharambam We find many times that Maran Shuchanaru, he made a halacha against the Rambam, and he didn't care that the Rambam was the leader, the chief rabbi of Eretz Yisrael in all the places around Eretz Yisrael. And he writes in Beit Yosef, Harambam, who gadola poskim, he was the greatest of the poskim. Everybody follow the Shulchan Aruch. And the, he brings the Radvaz as well, that the Ramban, who should, he is the rabbi of all the areas surrounding Eretz Yisrael. So that's one premise. He says, In Afkat Rochel, this is a teshuvah, a book of teshuvot that the Shulchan Aruch he wrote, that Rav Yosef Kara wrote. He was asked, Let's say you have a community that follows the Rambam. All his kulot, all of his humrot, stringencies, leniencies, generation after generation. Do we have to, what's it in? Do we have to force them to follow the, the Balaturim, to the, to the tour? The tour was written on the, is the children of the Rosh. Do we have to make them follow this different halacha or can they stay with what they were following the Rambam before? And he says, he answers, Maran Shulchan Aruch, Mihu asher libo karambam. Who, who can imagine to actually go and try to force communities that are following the Rambam and change their minagim to follow other authorities? Even you have other communities, we're going to see that, believe it or not, in the Spanish community of Spain and around that area, they started actually following an Ashkenazi posek, the Rosh. And the Rosh actually became the Maradatra after the Rambam. So it says it doesn't matter. Even though you have a majority of communities following the Rosh later on and other opinions besides the Rosh, they cannot force to change the minority communities of the Rambam. They can't force them, and there's not a problem of having two different bedidim, two different customs in one city. We're not getting into the technical details behind that. So he says, So it says, Rav Shalush, he's analyzing all the works of Shulchan Aruch. According to what we just read in the Afkat Rochel, it's implied that even if you are noheg to be, you have a custom to be lenient, Nobody can force you. The word force is very important. We'll see why. To be machmir. And that kind contradicts what he said before, because he said before, you can continue your humrot, but you cannot continue your kulot. You have to change your kulot according to me, the Shulchan Aruch, what I say. So this is a stirad that the Rav Shalush is bringing up. So he says, this is his answer, Rav Shalush. He says, That, that Rav, Rav uh, Yosef Cairo wrote in the Afkat Rochel, that's only if you want to force them to change their customs. However, really, internally, he wanted you to change your customs. To make things that are asur, asur to things that you were matir, and make it asur, even if it goes against 
but the Rambam was matir. He's saying this has to be what the Shulchan Aruch wanted to do because the Shulchan Aruch he wrote this in Eretz Yisrael, living in Sfat, and and Ukilot Elu Rambam. And all these communities were following the Rambam. So if the Minag was to follow the Rambam, why would Maran write the Shulchan Aruch and try to change things if he wasn't trying to do that? Of course, he was trying to change things. That's what he's coming to say. So therefore, he's just coming now saying that. Maran wanted to change things, but he didn't want you to force people to change things. They have to do it like naturally. Right? Because he says, How did he psak? Many halachot. He went against the Rambam. He says, So that's what, when the Afkat Rochel in that Teshuvah, the Shuanar right, to force somebody, that's, that's only to force, Mamash only to force them. However, he really wants. He really wanted He wanted everybody really to change their customs and to follow this new rule that they came up with, the two out of the three big poskim, the Rif, the Rosh, Haramban. Okay, so, and he says also, that's only if they were following the Rambam. But if they were following other poskim, could it be he, want, he would actually tell them to force the change. Only the Rambam he respected because he was the Mara the Atra. But let's continue. So now the question is, where did Maran get this concept to, to, to make this principle and try to change people from doing what they were accustomed to do before? So he says, he says, besides the fact that this, this concept was argued by Gedolim during the time of the, the Shulchan Aruch himself, the Maharshal, the Yamshal Shelomo, an Ashkenazi rabbi, he wrote very, very strong against the Shulchan Aruch and this concept. And this concept that he came up with. The Ramah, of course, the Maharshach, even Sfaradi Rabbanim were against it. They also, and many Rabbanim, they actually face to face argued with him, with the Shulchan Aruch. He says, Od Kashe, we have another question. So a little background information. There's a whole machloket in the Gemara in Abu Razara. Do you go by majority opinion or do you go by whoever is greater in Chokhmah. What is more binding? Do you go by whoever is greater in Chokhmah or do you go by whoever is greater in number? So the Rambam himself, he's posek in Hilchot Mamrim, that you go by the, 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 the number, not the Chokhmah. You don't go by Chokhmah, you go by number. You go by however many authorities you have, Safek Teoraita or Safek Rabbanan. Whatever the majority opinions go with, that's the opinion you're going to go with. So he says, now he asks a beautiful question of Shilush. Okay. This is the main point. How did the Shulchan Aruch, he took three opinions, and one of the three, like we mentioned, is the Rambam, and he said, I'm going to establish the Halachot based off these three opinions, either all of them or majority of them, and he didn't care to actually take into consideration that the Rambam himself doesn't hold you go after Chokhmah, right? You don't go after the greatest opinions. Rather, you go after Rov, the majority. According to the Rambam, we have a question nowadays in our generation. What do you do? You have a consensus. What do the majority of the scholars hold? That's the Alecha. You don't go by after who's the greatest posek. Oh, the greatest posek, Hamobad Yosef. We go like him, even though 99% of all the other Chachamim are arguing. The Rambam didn't hold like that. You go by majority. So Rav Shalush is asking, I don't understand. We just said 
you the Ram, you're, you're using the Rambam, and the Rambam himself is against the this principle, and you're using him as a number instead of uh, as a as a hacham as a hokma instead of rov a, a number. So that's another question he asked. So he says vim tomar lo mishum No, perhaps when Shulchan Aruch he chose this principle of three, two out of three, these three, the three big big hachamim, he didn't choose them because of their their chokmatam, their wisdom, that they were the greatest of all poskim. Rather, because the Jewish people were relying on these opinions. These were already three famous rabbis that the Jewish people were accustomed to follow. Not because they were the greatest scholars in the world, rather it would already, whatever the reason was, they were the poskim that people followed. He says, uh, however, he asks a question. It doesn't make sense. You can't say this. Why? The, the Rashba, living in Spain, he wrote Teshuvot to thousands of people, to thousands of Hachamim, and many communities asked the Rashba for certain halachot, and he didn't agree with all three of these rabbis that we have. Who can say that? The, the Jewish people did not rely on Harashba. Of course, they relied on the Rashba. We have historical evidence for that. And he also brings the Rambam as well, the Ramban, Nachmanides. He has many Teshuvot, and he had many grandchildren that were following his Sakalach as well. There were great Poskim, the Tashbats, the Barashbash, right? And the French rabbis as well. He's saying all these Rabbanim, they also had communities that were relying on them. So we still have no clue why did Shuchan Aruch bring these three rabbis out of all the other thousands of rabbis we have. We don't have an answer. So now he says, this is the Chida. He found the Chida in the Birke Yosef, the, the Sefer of the Chida, Yosef Haim Azulai. He wrote an answer. He says, says the Chida, this concept, this principle that you take the three rabbis or two out of three, this is how we are posek. This is the Sfardi Minhag. The Hida, he brings a proof that the Radbaz from Egypt, he says, a contemporary of Maran, Kol talalu, all these places around Eretz Israel, So the Hida is, is interpreting these words of the Radbaz very interesting. He says, all of the communities around Eretz Israel, they already accepted the Rif, the Rambam, the Rosh to be Posek Halakha like them, whether it be to be Mekel or to be Machmir. So he says, says the Chida, says the Chida, he wants to say something very fascinating, that this concept of the three rabbis, this was already something that was accepted before. We already had this principle of two out of three rabbis, three out of two rabbis. This was something already before. Right, at least three, at least three rabbis. I, I saw in Rabbi Yitzhak Yosef as well, he brings this whole concept as well, quoting the Chida, and they really go on this, that this was a principle that Maran himself did not invent. Um, and now the Chida, he brings many, many places to show that, you know, in, in, in Spain, they were following the, the Rosh, um, uh, all over different Rabbanim that were following the Rosh. So let's skip on here. He says, mipum kadish haim abulafia. So now says the Chida that we heard, we have this rumor um, that from that I heard from rabbis, I heard from Harav Haim Abu Lafia, an earlier rabbi from the um, maybe 16th, 17th century. That 
we have a tradition that in the time of Maran, in a generation, 200 rabbis, they accepted to this klal, this rule, this principle that the Shulchan Aruch came up with. And they would say that anybody, who, once you're following the Shulchan Aruch, you're following 200 rabbis. So that's something that is already accepted and we follow the Shulchan Aruch. So now he gives a little kitzur. He's saying the Shulchan Aruch didn't do something so new according to the Chida. This was the custom before in the Shulchan Aruch, before the Shulchan Aruch. This was the custom of the Sfaradim. And according to the custom of the majority of the Jewish people, which back in the old time also, more you had more Sfaradim than Ashkenazim in the world. And that was the Rov Kilot, Rov, that was the Rov of the Jewish people. He, he wrote the Shulchan Aruch. So now comes in Rav Shadush and he asks questions against this Hida. If you actually do some research and actually open up what the Radbaz says, and even see from what the Chida brought down as well, nobody was posek like all three rabbis. Rather, some communities only followed the Rambam, some communities only followed the Rosh, and some communities only followed the Rif. Aval, he says, to posek all halachot from two out of three, or or two of them are arguing. The third opinion didn't reveal his his uh, his uh, opinion, and then we would go like a different posek. This was never a custom amongst the Sephardim, and this is a new idea that the Shulchan Aruch came up with. So now comes in. Rav Shadushi says, The Shulchan Aruch, we see again, he wanted to come and uproot the customs that the, the certain communities had before. Now says Rav Shadush again, we're going to skip down. How can Maran have the authority to do this? How did he want to change the customs and have people follow his rulings what happened to the kavod that these communities would give to the rabbis, to their, their, their scholars, their hahamim of every community until now? How can they just come? You want you expect them to change their customs. And since already we have all the Jewish people, different communities following these, these poskim, out of these three different poskim, and we already said that if you have a minhag to be uh, machmir, you shouldn't be mekel. So then what we have, what's the result now? That this concept, this rule that the Beit Yosef invented, it's not a rule for psak saying, According to our calculations, what Shulchan Aruch was trying to do is only make humrot, right? Because if you already know heg, Heter, you were already said things are mutar. He wants you to change to be machmir. And uh, and if you already were noheg, if you were mati, or if you're already machmir before, you were noheg asur, you cannot change it. You have to follow your previous minhagim. So now the Shulchan Aruch, what good is this book? All it is is the book of Humrot. Pretty much he's saying, be machmir everywhere. That's all the, the Shulchan Aruch is coming to do. And he says, this is dochak. We, we can't say that this is what the Shulchan Aruch wanted to do. So now, Rav Shadush, he gives his answer. He says, 
it seems to me that Maran, his Kavana was like the Rambam. What does that mean? That a Beitin yachol lebater divrei Beitin havero. A Beitin, this is actually in the Hagdama, the Mishnah Torah, and Rav Shadush, in the previous uh, chapters of this one Teshuvah, he extensively talked about this concept. And the Rambam in, the, in Perush Mishnayot, for anybody, in Perush, and sorry, in the Mishnah Torah, in his Hagdama, he writes explicitly that a Beitin, after Ravina Ravashi, they can come and change the, the customs of the previous Beitin. Not a problem. Even if the later Bedin is not as great in number and wisdom, they can still change it. And he says, this is what Shulchan Aruch did. He wanted to make these three poskim uh, in order to follow them as a new Bedin. He was making a virtual Bedin. <laughs> he was making a virtual Bedin that this is our Bedin. This is our new Bedin. You can change what the previous customs were doing. And that's not a problem because he had like the Rambam. Right. So he says, and now what Rab Abu Lafia said that uh, 200 rabbis agreed to him. He's coming. He says, the rabbis agreed to what he did. They agreed to this concept of, of having a new beitin, this new psak halacha of changing the previous halachot. And he says, right. And he says, this new reason, this new concept that's, that he's doing, following the Rambam, he didn't care to the previous shit before which was the Rambam himself, following the, that he was the ruler of Israel. Because when a new Beitin comes, they can change what the previous Beitin said. And he says, And his real intent comes in, Rav Shalush is exposing, he's saying, the true intent, like we mentioned already before, is I wanted you, me, Rav Yosef Garo, he, he wanted you to follow everything, whether it be a Humra, whether it be a Kula, according to the Shulchan Aruch. Like he says in Hagdama. If you read the Hagdama, the Shulchan Aruch itself, it sounds like he wanted everybody to know what's Salacha, the Maaseh, what to do. Now he's saying, the, the Beit Yosef, the Shulchan Aruch, he had to be a little political. He said, in his generation, he was not able to tell all the Hachamim of his generation, except me, except what I'm doing, my new virtual Beit Din. And even though, yeah, he had 200 rabbis agree with him, you had other rabbis, other authorities that did not agree with him. This is how the Jewish people work. There's always other people that are going to agree with, even if you have 200 rabbis on your side. And especially that he wanted to make things be more lenient against things that the Rambam said is Asur, or other rabbis as well. He says, people don't handle that so well. People don't handle change like that. So, so the, the, Rav Yosef Karo had to be a little political. He says, that's why he wrote in his initial hagdama, in his introduction for the Beit Yosef, that if you have a community that are already doing something and making it asur, continue to say it's asur. And like this, he's going to prevent people from saying, oh, look at this Beit Yosef, he's matir asurim. He's making everything mutar, mutar, mutar. So he wanted to be political. No, stay with your things that are asur. I'm not coming to change that. However, really, he really wanted you internally to change everything and follow this new baitin that he set up, this new concept. Okay, so that's pretty much Rav Shalush nailing down why do, um, sorry, how did Maran come up with this concept and what did he really want to do? What was his intent? So now we know his intent. Now the question is, how did the Sephardic people, the Jewish people, 
in total. How did they uh, accept this, this new Beitin that Shohan Aruch wanted to do? So I'm going to try to fly through this because we don't have so much time. So Can he I says, just some, yes. Just, just ask a question. <clears throat> are, we, are we correct from interpreting what you're saying? His intent was a unification to try and, because you, there were the communities following all the, these different systems and what he was trying to do was unify them by saying, well, the three popular systems are the, the Rambam, the Rosh, etc. So I'll unify them and I'll create another system to avoid Machlokot when these communities Right. There is definitely a concept of unification, I agree. Um, but the problem is, is that you're unifying by making people change their customs. So it doesn't go so well. Um, I definitely agree that, you know, the Rambam as well try to make a, a unification of a Psaq Halacha for all Am Yisrael. Uh, the Mishnah Torah was written for everybody. In our generation, he wants everybody to follow the the um, the Yakut Yosef, let's say. But the reality is, is that the, the people didn't really handle that so well. And now we're going to see in reality what did, did the Sephardim actually accept this concept. Yeah. So, but definitely I agree. There was definitely a, he wanted to unify the Jewish people. Although I don't know if he actually explicitly said that because he, we just saw before that he told people that are following the Rambam, continue your min hagim. So it's, it's interesting. Sounds like he wanted to just make a, a new Beitin Perhaps as well. Why? Because maybe you had um, the Jewish people being displaced in different places and now they needed a new psaac. There's different reasons why you could say he wanted to come up with this new theory, but uh, it's a good point. Fine. So he says, according to the Achronim, what are the Achronim that came after Moran? How do, what did they say? So the, the Chida, we already saw, he says, already all over the place, all the Sephardi lands, everywhere around Eris Israel. They accepted the teachings of the Shulchan Aruch, the, the Psakim. He says, and uh, in the, he says, the Chida, look how far he goes. He brings the Panim Meirot, which is Rabbi Yair Eisenstadt. He was an Ashkenazi rabbi, and he says that she Ashkenazi maran He said, again, the Ashkenazim, they were very against what the Shulchan Aruch tried to do. And they said that even Ashkenazi, that he wants to be Mekel like the Shulchan Aruch. He needs to do teshuvah. He needs to have atonement for what he did. So says says the chida. You know we're going to balance this out. Says the chida. He says anybody that's living in the lands of the shulchan aruch, if you are following, you're going like the kulot of the of the rama, the rama against the shulchan aruch. You need to do teshuvah kapara. He's saying it's equal. It's both. We have we accepted the Sephardi lands. Accepted very strong the shulchan aruch. You can't change it. And again, he brings from the Benishai. That even if a hundred rabbis are arguing with Maran, doesn't matter, you go like the Shulchan Aruch. Uh, it brings from many, Rav Chaim Pelagi, Shari Rahamim, all these people. Imagine, they say, we accepted the Shulchan Aruch as if it was like Moshe Rabbeinu from Hashem. That's how strong the Shulchan Aruch was. So it sounds like from this, that you can't really uh, argue with the Shulchan Aruch. So now the question Rav Shadush says, historically, was... Really, was Maran the Marad the Atra? Was he the real final posek of Eretz Israel? Did everybody follow him just like in Sefarad in Spain? The Ramban was the Marad Atra. So he says, just background information. Marad the Atra. When you try to understand it, it's a word that it's posek halacha bimkomo. It's a rabbi who's posek halacha while he's alive in his city. You have to follow him, however he says. Right, like the Shofet brings a pasuk. He says, unless majority of the rabbis argue with him. Let's see. Uh, and he says, says Rav Shalush, lo haya maran 
the Shulchan Aruch was not like this in Sfat. It's the Maran Shulchan Aruch was not the Mara de Atra. He's going to bring out historically, you had in Sfat, let's say, you had three different communities. You had the Mugrabim. These are the Jews that came from North Africa, etc. You have the, the Ashkenazim living there. And you had the Sfaradim that came from Spain. And he brings down that the Mabit, of Moshe Mitrani, he was the chief rabbi of the Sfaradim there. And he was a contem- contemporary of the Shulchan Aruch. And they had fierce machlokot between each other. And he was the chief rabbi for the, for the say, the synagogue of Beit Yaakov, which is a big kehila there in Sfat. And he says, um, Even in the Beitin that they had in Sfat, Maran didn't even send in the Beitin in, in Sfat. Imagine that. So he says, uh, he brings down proof from Abkat Rochel. We're going to skip this for, for the lack of time we have. And he says, even in the Beitin that came after this Beitin, the Shulchan Aruch didn't even sit in this Beitin. Not only that, he would fight with the Beitin. He had a whole machloket with Rav Moshe Mitrani, the Mabit, regarding Masrot from Goyim, etc. Stuff that produce that came from the Goyim, and the Jewish people would process it. Do you have to do Maser for it or not? And uh, it was a big machloket. So he didn't even, he wasn't on the even later Beitin in Sfat. So it says Rav Shalush, Mikol it's clear that Shulchan Aruch, Rabbi Yosef Cairo, was not the highest authority in Sfat. And all the more so, he was not the Rav of Eretz Israel, right? Because you had Rabbi Levi ben Habib. Rabbi Levi ben Habib was the big posek, the big Maradata of Yerushalayim. And some background information is that as we know that uh, they try to reinstitute the Sanhedrin in Sfat. And the biggest opponent to this was Rav Levi ben Habib. So he was his own authority, his own, has his own crowd following him, his own uh, community. So, the, so Maran wasn't even the, the of course he wasn't the Maradatra of Eretz Israel. So rather, So rather, the Shulchan Aruch was a big posek. He made beautiful Sfarim that all Am Yisrael would rely on because it's an amazing sefer. So he says, what about after Maran died? Was he Marad Atra? So he says, he brings down, says, Even after Maran died, they didn't accept the Shulchan Aruch as an authority, as the as a Marad Atra. Whatever month was. Again, the Mabit, which is Ramosh Mitrani, he also was a big posek there, and still arguing with the Shuhanar who said when the Shuhanar was alive. And the Chida writes that the Chida himself admits to this. Majority of the Hachamim, which were actually living in Svat, who were they following? Rambam. He was following the, the Rambam, and he was one of the biggest poskim in Svat. He even writes, he didn't bring it here, that the, the Shulchan Aruch was written for, for the unlearned people. So you had contemporaries of Maran that really weren't, you know, so such big fans of his work. Um, right, okay, he brings many places from Sefer Etzhaim that, you know, that it wasn't accepted, the rulings of Shulchan Aruch, until much later after he passed away. And he says, um, and even after, let's say, says Rav Shalush, that his minhagim spread across the Sephardic lands, they didn't follow everything, 
rather communities follow their own minhagim, because they couldn't remove themselves from their customs. They have a minhag, minhag is very important. They didn't want to lose the minhagim that they were following. So he brings a bunch of examples. I just quickly say, like, for example, according to Shulchan Aruch, he's posek, the time of Ben Hashem Ashot is Rabbein Utam. So Shabbat comes in much later, and Shabbat leaves much later. No Sephardic country in the world was actually noheg, like the, like the Shulchan Aruch in this, like Rabbein Utam. We were following the, the minhagim of the Geonim, which was regular Ben Hashemot. When, when the sun sets, that's uh, Ben Hashem Ashot. Also, in, in Eretz Fi, in Eretz Yisrael, they were making a berachan alulav against Maran. Maran holds like the Rambam that on a on a birkat mitzvah, a birkat of hazman grama, a town time bound mitzvah, you do not make a berachah. Women do not make berachot. But the minhag was of many people, even Morocco, all over the world. The, the kafahayim brings down women will make berachot on certain mitzvot and uh, many things. He said, for example, halel. You make a berachah when you're saying halal on Rosh Chodesh. You know, the Moroccans, the Turkish Jews, the Persian Jews, many Jews around the world used to make a berachah on Rosh Chodesh. Uh, the Moroccans still do it. Not so many other communities. They kind of, um, they assimilate it to the, the mainstream sakim of the, the Shulchan Aruch, Rabbi Yosef. But you sell customs that were not following the Shulchan Aruch for many, many centuries after the Shulchan Aruch. Also about Yerusha, he brings down from Trefot, from... Uh, from different Sfarim, that even by, by Trefot, they weren't, from, by what's kosher, what's not kosher, they weren't following the Maran. So he says, Rav Shalush, We see, he's giving a summary. He was not the, the sole authority, the main authority in Eretz Yisrael and anywhere else. And his, his, his rulings weren't accepted during his lifetime uh, in Sfat, in, of course, in all of, all of Eretz Yisrael, even after a long time. And even after that his minhagim spread to Chutz in Algeria, in Ashkenazi lands, they didn't accept the, the rulings of the Shulchan Aruch. And any time, and he says also, any time they accepted the rulings of the Shulchan Aruch, they wouldn't stop doing their previous customs because of what the Shulchan Aruch said. He says, He says that this concept, this remez, this, what does it mean, Maran? Maran is Joshua Tebot, Matayim 200, Rabbanim, Rabbis, Nismach, they gave him smicha, they agreed to what he said. It says, Rav Shalush, perhaps only regarding Kenasot. Kenasot are certain fine, fines that the, that the Shulchan Aruch said to do, that they agreed because he had smicha from Mahri Berav. When they try to reintroduce the Simicha. But um, we saw already that I mentioned before that Mahad Bach, he argued with this whole Simicha and many Gedolim, and they were Batel. This whole Simicha thing was already, was already ruined many, uh, a couple of years after Shulchan Aruch. So, how do we, this concept of, oh, Rabbi Abu Lafia that says 200 rabbis agree to him? Um, it doesn't matter, he says, just because 200 rabbis agreed to something, that doesn't mean that all of Am Yisrael had to follow these 200 rabbis. Uh, and he says that from the fact that Ashkenazim and the communities in Algeria, they didn't follow this, they didn't follow the rulings of Ramah, of the Shulchan Aruch, that's enough of a proof. So he says, um, and now, says Rav Shalush, are we on time? Ah. He says, says Rav Shalush, I did a lot of research. I was searching and searching and searching 
to find if the rabbis and communities, the rabbis around the world, got together, either in Tzfat or Yushalayim, or in any type of keilah around the world, and kiblu alehim, and did they accept upon themselves and on their children, at sof kol adorot likabel alehim horaut harambam or arosh omaran. Was there ever such a thing that the Jewish people accepted the rulings of the Rambam, the Rosh, or Maran Shulchan Aruch? Everything that we hear is only like a hearsay. We heard from this rabbi that said from this rabbi, he accepted from this rabbi that all these rabbis accepted Shulchan Aruch. If in reality that there was this really Kabbalah of the rabbis, of all the hachamim coming together, joining and making this an official thing, and you know, accepting from them and their, their, their community and all the children, wouldn't this be written in some sefer? <laughs> it's not written anywhere. So how could this be such a thing that you know all the hachamim are saying these things? So now, this is the crux of it. We have a few more minutes. It's okay. We extend it. If you want to go, no problem. It'll be on the members chat. Right? Okay, fine. So he says, so how did this develop? Comes, comes Rabbi Shalush. He's giving his own Hidush. He says, um, how did this develop so far that even the later Achronim, you open up, your, let's say you open up any Sefer of Rabbi Yosef, he's going to bring you maybe 50 rabbis, all great uh, Sephardi Achronim, Saying that everybody's saying how did this develop? We can't find one actual historical evidence for this concept. So he says, um, he says, he said, look how strong the Lashon is. He says, He says, they went beyond, they exaggerated, over-exaggerated to say that the words of the Shukhan Aruch are like Moshe Rabbeinu. How did it get so far? How did these agadot, these uh, these legends, come around the Shuhanaro, his name, this this uh, this theory? And how come before the Shuhanaro, we never had this concept of kibano horaot rambam, kibano horaot rosh, kibano horaot baletosafot? We never heard of such a thing. So he says, this is how it developed. This is how it developed. Just like, this is a very rational approach. He says, just like the Rambam, he was famous. He was Adrichel Halacha. He was an architect for Halacha. He, the Rambam, he organized all the opinions and organized it into a beautiful book, the Mishnah Torah. His name, his reputation spread wild viral across the entire world. And his books, his farim went all the way to Yemenites. And now because he had such a reputation, he was in the Mishpacha magazine, everybody would go to him and they would ask him questions. And they would ask him. So they developed a relationship with him. So, and after the Rambam passed away, any rabbi who already had some connection with the rulings of the Rambam, when a new question would arise, they would open up the Mishnah Torah of the Rambam, and there everything was beautifully set. All the halachot, and he would find the question that he was looking for, and he would answer the question that the rabbi, this rabbi, would receive based off the Mishnah Torah. Um, and this spread all across the entire Sephardic worlds. So he's saying this is the, this is how the, the Rambam became so famous because his name started off as a big posek 
He came up with the Mishnah Torah. People were asking him questions. They developed a relationship with him. And therefore, they had a connection with the Mishnah Torah and they would follow the Mishnah Torah. And he says this was the same thing. The Sfaradim would follow the Rosh as well. And when the Rosh moved from Germany to, to Sfarad, you know, he became their rabbi because he had Sfarim as well. He had a reputation. And they would go and ask him questions from all over, from Portugal, Ashkenaz. Everybody would go to the Rosh and he would be posek for them. And therefore, even after, after he passed away, they would still have a Kesher, this relationship with the Rosh. Um, and it says, in, 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 uh, in uh, Algeria, their relationship was with the Tashbats, Duran. He was their rabbi and they would follow him and everything. They had a connection with him even after he passed away. So he says, So too, when the Beit Yosef, when that appeared, this, the book of the Beit Yosef, and his name spread everywhere. He made a sefer unlike any other sefer. He brought all the opinions, the explanations from the Gemarot all the way down. Any chidush from before and on to him, he wrote it down in his sefer, Bet Yosef. And then the Ramah came and he wrote on top of the Shulchan Aruch. He brought all the customs of the Ashkenazim. Now what happens? Every rabbi amongst the Jewish people he has Sefer Mushlam Lifsok Mimenu Alakha Lemaseh. He has a new book that he can find all the questions he wants for Alakha Lemaseh. So he says, if he's a Sephardi rabbi, he would go to Shulchan Aruch and he would follow the Shulchan Aruch. And he was an Ashkenazi rabbi, he would go like the Ramah. And he, because the Ramah would bring the, the people that argue with the Shulchan Aruch. So he says, this is how it was in the Talmud. Akol Nishanev Nikbal Yadeh Harav Maradatra. Maradatra was another, was, wasn't something that was constant forever, it wasn't an eternal type of concept. The Marad Atra would change. It would go up and down, depending on their community, depending on the rabbi. The new rabbi would come in, change the previous minhagim. One rabbi would posek like this instead of the other posek. Every community had their own Marad Atra. Uh, let's keep on going. Uh, okay, so let's keep on going. So it says, So you see, he's explaining now why. Why did this why did this happen? This concept that Kibanu Horaut Maran, it's all over the place. So, how did this happen? So, he says, in Sfat, everything was concentrated there. You had Rov Hachamim living in Sfat. And then, the knowledge, the Hachamim started going down. This happened. There was more persecution in Sfat, whatever the communities were dying out. And the, the Hochma, the level of scholarship, was going down. And then what happened is the printing press came out very strong and things were being printed all over. Different post-game were printing their opinions everywhere. And we're afraid, they were afraid that rabbis, rabbis, rabbis of small communities are going to start going with this rabbi instead of this rabbi because now the book, the access is in front of them. Before, it was just limited to the greatest rabbanim, the Rosh, Rambam. They had their sparring printed, but now it was everywhere. So Yatsru Leoto Kabbalah, It says, then this Kabbalah, this concept of we accepted the rulings of Shulchan Aruch, he says, Mufrezit, which is a little exaggerated, he says, they went so far to say it's like Moshe Rabbeinu's words. He says, He says, for sure this Kabbalah was not like a Gezera that the community did, and therefore it's like a Sayag Torah that you have to follow. We don't find one Beit Din that said that you must follow the Shulchan Aruch. We don't find one Beit Din. So now he ends off saying, what about can you now, can rabbis, can they posek against the Shulchan Aruch? 
So he says, according to what I just said, the Hida said, remember you guys, the, the Hida said that if you go against Maran, you did a hit and you need Kapara. So Rav Shalush is saying, what hit, what Avera did you do if you go against Maran? Even if you, is attacking Hamubadia, we're going to see. Even if in Eretz Israel you're giving a psak that's against Maran, the Shulchan Aruch was not the Maradatra of Eretz Israel. He was not the leader of Eretz Israel. And even though people after him came, they said, oh, we accepted the rulings of Shulchan Aruch. Maran himself went against the Rambam. And he didn't care that the Rambam was the Maradatra of Eretz Israel. So if Shulchan Aruch is the Maradatra of Eretz Israel, and we see that the Maradatra, let's say the Maran, Shulchan Aruch, he himself, Argued against the previous Maradatra. So, therefore, why can't we later generations argue with the previous Maradatra, which is the Beit Yosef? Um, he says, He says, After Maradatra, he passes away. Why not? You're allowed to argue with what he says. He passed away. That's it. He's not the Maradatra. Maradatra was a physical thing during the lifetime of the sage. So he says, it is fitting, and he says in brackets, even Hayab, you must posek against the Shulchan Aruch if your eyes, the eyes of a posek, he sees differently. Negin Maran, even Sheinu Kerabim Mamash, because Kerabam Mamash, because the Shulchan Aruch is not really your Rebbe. Ve'lama kos faridi sarich teshuva kapara. I don't understand why you need teshuva kapara. Me'ezeh avera yeshuva ve'ama yichaper. What does he have to do teshuva for? Ve'afim tomar matayim rabenis lemuchakayim. Like we said this before, he says. Um, he says, and he says. Kevin Shekol Israel look at Balu Bismano. No, they, the Am Israel they never accepted the Shulchan Aruch during the time when he was alive. Bet Hiburo when he wrote the Shulchan Aruch. The Eno Domel and Mishneu Talmud Shinikabilu Al Yedekol Yisrael. And you can't compare it to the Mishnah and the Talmud because the Mishnah and Talmud these were things that were accepted from Ashkenazi Sfaradim. The entire Jewish world accepted these things as halacha. Uh, so he says, Siyuma de Milta, here's the end. He says, in summary, His words are not like Moshe Rabbeinu. Rather, any rabbi who is at that level, he gives a, warn, a warning at the end that this is not, you know, any sure rabbi can do this. This is a very advanced rabbinim. If they delve into the sugiah of a certain topic and they go into shas, and they know the Rishonim, the Achronim, and any certain question, and he is inclined to go with that halakha, which is arguing with the Shulchan Aruch, and his friends agree with him as well, which means he's not alone in this situation. Other Rabbanim, he finds other Poshim that agree with him against the, uh, the Shulchan Aruch. Not a problem. He says, You can go like that. A Dayan only has what his eyes see. He doesn't have to follow you know, other things that he heard from other people. He has to follow what he sees. He says, of course, you for sure you can't come and push and pressure people to change their existing customs. No way. And he says, He's saying, this is not what, you know, this is against what my friend, Rav Ovadi Yosef, said he, he he treated him with respect even though 
there's a lot behind their relationship that we won't get into tonight. He says, for example, right? Rabbi wrote very against women who make a berachan alulav. He calls them, he says that these women, it's not a proper minhag, it's a minhag ta'ut. It's a mistake in minhag. He says, Rav Shalush says, we're dealing with righteous women. We're not dealing with rebellious women here. It's an important minhag that's based off hahamim. That's what you can't, the, the, the previous rabbis and now rabbis, we can't, you know, protest against these women. And he says, And all the more so when you have a community that came from out of Israel and now they moved to Eretz Israel with the, when, uh, in the, let's say in the 40s, 50s, 60s. And they started a new community. And they have a rabbi for their community. For sure, they can follow their original customs. They had Persian customs. Keep your Persian customs. You had Moroccan customs. Keep your Moroccan customs. You can come with this concept that Rabobadi is very strong with. Oh, this is the Atra de Maran. You must follow the Shuchan Aruf. He says, this is the strong liner that I just wanted to end off with. Because the Minagamakom, the Minhagim, is established by people. Shigarubo that live there. Not based off rocks or or wooded rocks. The minhagim, we don't say atra de Israel, the atra de maran is because the, the rocks and the wood are preserving the halachot. You go by the people. So this is a very uh, that's how he ends off this this uh, this topic. I mean, he goes a little bit more and he gives a disclaimer, not for any rabbi to do this. Maybe two or three rabbis per generation can do this. But the, the, the truth is is that the Rab Shalush himself throughout his farim is going against Maran and many halachot. So I think this is a beautiful tissue about to share with everybody. Um, I, I don't know if we have one more minute. No, it's already a little too far. One more minute. I just wanted to, something I found in his Hagdama as well, is that somebody mentioned here is that, you know, you wanted to, Maran Beit Yosef wanted to make Ahdut. He wanted to do Ahdut amongst the Jewish people. So it's a beautiful thing. Why don't we all get onto this bandwagon and, and, and do this Ahdut thing and have one halakha? So... Problem with this, and, and, and to be honest, Rabbi himself, that's what he was trying to do. He even tried earlier, he wanted Ashkenazim in Israel to follow the Shulchan Aruch as well. He brings from Afkat Rochel as well. The 20, the, each one of them is Batel. Once they come to Israel, they have to follow the Minhag of Eretz Israel, which already we just saw that Rabbi Shadu said there was no Minhag in Eretz Israel, but whatever. So the question is, what is the ideal situation? What, what, should, what, what, what should we do nowadays? Because it's a beautiful thing to have Ahdud. So he says, this is from Hagdama. It's a different issue. It's this Hagdama of the Sefer. It says, every wise sage should get together in order for the benefit of the Jewish nation. In order for the glory of the Torah. We have to choose the wisest sages and make a bit in the gadol. We have to bring back the bit in again. And to do how we were doing it in the old days, when we were the, when the Jewish people were living in Eretz Israel. We now have Eretz Israel. We have Medinat Israel. Let's go back to how it was before. The kasher yifzok bet adin, and however this new bet in will be posek, ken yakum, we must follow that halakha. And this is crazy what he says. And we're not going to have this concept of one rabbi that he becomes a famous rabbi that everybody has to follow. You have to follow Hamavadi. You have to follow only Beit Yosef. You have to follow this. We're not going to have this anymore. 
because he's saying he says to say oh I'm the poseka halachot for this uh, for the people he says this concept of this one rabbi superstars this brings machloket debate this brings fights and jealousy amongst the different poskim amongst the people and you're using the Torah to become famous he says we don't want this anymore we have to go back to how it was originally and have the beit din and he brings down here that this new beit din will have the power to do to be like the previous Bate Dinim. And he brings from the from the Rambam, and he brings from the Iri that we're gonna be a Beitin that's just as strong in Chokmah and in Minyan in number as well. And therefore we can make different Gezrot as well. You know, even Rav Shalush in one of his Tishubot, he wanted to actually stop doing Yom Tov Sheni. But he said we can't do it because we don't have Beitin. He says the reason of Yom Tov Sheni doesn't really apply nowadays. We're not gonna get into that. But he says, but well, we can't do anything because we need a Beitin. So he was begging, he wanted to make a Beitin. He didn't want this. You know, Rabbanut anymore, one rabbi being the super chief rabbi. Or, you know, again, the chief rabbi in Israel, there's so much politics behind it. Why did Rav Haim David Alevi not become the chief rabbi? Because he didn't join Shas and he was with Mizrahi instead. There's so much politics. He says, enough with this stuff. Let's get a little more mature. Let's make a Beit Din again. And he says, and he says, we'll finish off with this. He says, I know, don't, don't, don't fool me. I know doing this, making this Sanhedrin is not going to be very easy. He says, It doesn't matter. This is not a halakha for the Mashiach. We don't have to make the Sanhedrin only when the Mashiach comes. You know, everybody's dreaming. They think, oh, when Mashiach comes, we're going to have Sanhedrin. Right now, we have to do it. We have the opportunity. We're in the, we have our own state and, and the Jewish people living there with tons of hachamim. Let's do it now. He says, Don't think that, you know, making a, a shidduch with different hachamim to make a one beitin is like, like it is for making a hatan in kala, husband and wife. He says, the fact that we have a Jewish state and this Jewish state had to surpass so many difficulties and miracles and, and so many falters that we, we, uh, we, we won. He says, we, if we did that, we have to do this from the fact that they did it as well from this, let's say, a secular state. And all the hachamim know that when we get all the Jewish stages together in one, we're going to have an increase of wisdom. We're going to have a love, appreciation for the hahamim. Yigdal kavoda Torah. The Torah will be exonerated. It will be much higher. In the, in, the, in the eyes of the people. They're not going to think about, oh, this rabbi, this rabbi. They're going to see the Beit Din, the, uh, a school of, of the uh, official yeshiva of the Beit Din. And they're going to be, everybody's going to be, even the secular people are going to be like, wow, this is amazing. And now Hashem's name would be uh, sanctified amongst everybody. guys. Thank you very much. Hacham, thank you very, very much for that. Fascinating to see Hacham um, Shalush in his own words. You know, I've heard so much about him. I'm sure many of the Chabra members have heard about him. But to hear him speak the way, right the way he does and um, with such clarity, it, it's a real treat. So thank you so thank much. You. Sorry, for I kind of ran through it. Uh, I just tried to get no, as much as I can. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for staying. It's, it's, it, it was a, a fantastic teshubah, fantastic insight to see the differing opinions with regards to the authority of the Shulchan Aruch and um, really, really helpful. I, if, if you have time, if we could just do a couple of questions, is that okay? For sure, for sure. Um, if I can answer anybody, them. Uh, yeah, if anybody wants to unmute or leave a question in the chat, we did have one in the chat by Gregory Horn, he said, does Hacham Shalush address that the Rambam may have been referring to the Bet Din Hagadol when he speaks about a later Bet Din being able to override a previous Bet Din? 
Um, I mean, the, in the Hagdama of the Mishnah Torah, you see clearly he's talking about Batei Dinim of, of post-Tamudic authorities, which there was no Beit Din Agadol at that time anymore. So he held that any Beit Din can come and change previous Takanot Kezerot of the, of the Batei Dinim beforehand. Okay. Anybody else with a question? I have a question. Please go ahead. Who's speaking? Uh-oh. Yes, it's Nadav, Nadav Davis. Hi, Hi Nadav, go ahead. <laughs> um, I had a question for you. These 200 rabbis that we always hear so much about that pretty much gave their haskamah to the Shohan Aruch, uh, saying that we need to follow it. Um, do we have any ideas to who these rabbanim were? <laughs> that's a good question. I think that's the, the feeling that Rabbi Shadush gives off is that it's, uh, it's legend, it's Haggadah. He uses Lashon Haggadah. You know, it's a, it's a myth, legend. Uh, nobody really knows who it is. It's Mithuya Shemua that we use the Lashon. It's, uh, it's, uh, we heard from telephone, from one mouth to another, but we don't really know what happened. So that's why his answer was, is that it, it, we, the rabbis of our generation, or at least let's say from the, for the past 200 years, the Sephardi rabbis from all different communities, they were using this Kibanu Horaut Maran. They kind of faked it. They pretended because they themselves, nobody, the Beni Shai, he follows maybe 50% of the Shulchan Aruch. I have actually, I didn't bring it here. The Sefer of Divrei Shalom Ve'emet, Rav Shalom Toledano. I sent it to Sina once. He brings down a chart of how much does even Rav Ovadi Yosef follow the Shulchan Aruch. And he brings down that they only follow Maran 50% of the time. He actually has pages and pages going through every halacha and he puts it in a graph. And this is a sikum. In the end, summary, he says, they only follow 50% of the Shulchan Aruch. He said, even Moroccans, for example, they follow 68% of the Shulchan Aruch, more than <laughs> Rabu Vadi Yosef. You know, so nobody really actually took this literally. It was more of a way to preserve the, the, the surah, the shape of the Jewish people is that, you know, our, we're focused on the Shulchan Aruch and this kind of keeps us together. And if not, maybe it's just going to get wild. You know, this rabbi is going to say this and this rabbi is going to do this. And, you know, let's say for the Bala Me'ort, for example, says in Yerushalayim, you only have to do one day of Yom Tov, even on Rosh Hashanah. So people are going to do like that. It's going to be, it's going to get wild. It's going to get crazy. So they, they made this concept, at least this is how I understand Rav Shalush, as Kibanu Horot Maran, to keep people within this circle, at least. Thank you. And to be honest, it, it seems for me this is the most logical explanation and the reality that you just see that all these rabbis that even Hamavadi brings down and Hamavadi himself, nobody really accepted Maran like a Rebbe, which means you would have to follow what he says left and right everything. People are messaging me asking for that graph. Um, I've got that picture, <laughs> so I'll be sharing it. Uh, everyone go on the Discord app. I'll be putting it in the Halakha thread. So um, you'll find it there. Uh, any more, one last question, please unmute or feel free to post it in the chat. Nope. I have a question. Uh, Yoshua Verdugo. That sounds like my brother. Um, yeah. <laughs> or somebody coming. <laughs> uh, no, I was wondering, so how come, I mean, it seems to be if he was, didn't seem so into, I guess, like spiritual oligarchy, like a spiritual confined, like power. Why was he for a chief Rabbanu, why did he take the position? Why do you think, I mean, I know this is completely theoretical, but uh, why do you think Rav Shalush took the position of chief Rabbi Netanya if he seemed to be like kind of against the established, oh, I don't know, position of power? No, I mean, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't against, I guess, having a Rabbanut. He just, he said that we can do much better than that. Why are we stopping at, you know, just uh, a chief rabbi, Hacham Bakshi? Why don't we go on and make a bait in like they tried to do right after 
you know, the Rambam came out with this halachot of in the Mishnah Torah saying that we can reinstitute the Beit Din. Why don't we do that now? Uh, that's going to be the best thing for the nation. Uh, yeah, he listened. He was uh, he talks about what a Rav is supposed to do in his Hagdama. It's actually a fascinating thing. Just to read the Hagdama from the Genuza, you really can extract his philosophy and his approach and methodology for everything. But uh, it's just, it's, that's the Bidi'avad situation we're in at the moment. Chazak. Okay, fantastic. Um, thank you guys. Thank you for listening. Acham, thank you so, so much. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to part two, uh, which I believe is Tishba on Tachelet. That will be, I think, in January. I think it's in a two weeks' time, three weeks' time. Um, I'll let everyone know in the WhatsApp group and the Discord app. Really, really appreciate your time. As ever, so insightful and so helpful. Thank you, everybody. Good night. Good day, wherever you are. See you on... I believe the next class is Sunday night, Diana Livnat, continuation of the Eben Heiser, the final episode of the Eben Heiser series. And um, thank you all for being here. Take care. Good night. Good night.